Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about joint ventures. There are many kinds of joint ventures, of course. You can have one for selling services, for selling products abroad. You may have one for doing uh, manufacturing, um, partial or complete of your product. My own experience is in joint ventures for providing back office services, what's often now called shared service centres, and that's really what I'm going to talk about today, although it's got lots of um, valuable thoughts, I hope, that you'll find whatever type of joint venture you might be considering at some point in the future. So suppose that you're a small or medium business with lots of paperwork, lots of admin work, and a very significant cost for your business is actually staffing and managing those functions in your own country. There's an obvious advantage to doing that work abroad, much cheaper than doing it with labour in your own country. Not as much a saving as there might have been before in the past, but still some substantial advantages just in terms of pure cost savings. And that can make a very big difference to whether your business sinks or swims. I've created joint ventures in several countries, including India, China and Brazil. All of them different, but from a business perspective, there's many similarities. Why are they similar? Well, in cost terms of cost savings. Cost savings saved my businesses in the past, and the international presence gave me more business, and in the end, a much higher company valuation. It wasn't always easy, but it certainly was always worthwhile. And it's certainly something I can recommend to others and help others achieve. But first of all, let's look at what the alternatives are to outsource, to um, creating a joint venture. Well, the natural one is called outsourcing. With outsourcing, you give the job to an outside company and leave them to get on with it. You basically give them a specification and away they go and do the job, you hope. Great advantage, you don't need to manage anything. All you have to do is to pay a bill every month. Um, often in advance, but uh, you're effectively paying for a service. However, that comes with a lot of disadvantages, actual and potential. The biggest single one can basically be summed up in the term no ownership. Because you don't own it, because another company is running the operation, they may try to meet your specification, but they'll still do things their own way, and their own way won't be your own way. It might be better, of course, but it's unlikely to be. And in most cases, you may not be very happy with things. You have no control over their day-to-day operations. You have no control over the choice of staff or very limited. In a worst-case scenario, things go on behind your back that you know nothing about. Badly treated staff, even as bad as things like child labour, 
things that can backfire on you. Everyone's heard stories about underpaid um, garment makers in countries like Bangladesh and how the backlash has fallen upon the companies that have outsourced the work um, from the USA or from the UK. The other disadvantage that's not immediately apparent is in fact that they're relatively expensive. The key being in the word relative. You really had no idea. Outsourcing companies by definition really put very high markups on what they do. So it's cheaper than doing things in your own country, but someone's making money on it. And in fact, they're making a markup that's very significant and disguising where all the costs go to. So if you don't like those things, or more specifically, you don't like the lack of control, open your own operation. Call it a shared service centre. Own 100% of it. The problem, really, is that getting started is a hassle. Uh, it's certainly worth owning your own operation, but you don't have experience of that particular country, and you're really going to be then dependent upon the first people you employ and the uh, people who help you actually set up the company in the first place. Maybe um, consultants or friends from your own country, um, certainly professionals in the other country where you're setting up. You may not be willing to dedicate enough time, the, certainly the amount of time that you'd need, to managing a foreign operation in a far-flung land. In some of the most cost-effective countries as well, you may not even be allowed to have 100% ownership of a company anyway. So, if you can find a good and enthusiastic partner, start a joint venture. And good and enthusiastic partners you will certainly find. Beware of some of the pitfalls that I described in a previous podcast. Uh, take a listen to it on growinternational.org if you don't remember it or you didn't listen to it. Let's look at the advantages of a joint venture. Well, it brings lots. Specifically, it brings you most of the cost savings that you'd have if you owned your own operation, but without the hassle. Uh, you have uh, a partner who will take on the majority of the work of getting the business set up in the first place and the majority of the day-to-day -day ongoing management. There may be some worthwhile tax advantages. They're not always or usually immediately obvious if you haven't had previous experiences of overseas subsidiaries or joint ventures, but they're there handled properly. A local partner uh, who's an established business person or an established company with the experience and contacts can help you get started very quickly and economically. But you still have ownership. You're still going to own at least 50% of the business, maybe more, maybe in some countries a little bit less. But your name can be over the door. You'll have the branding. And so that's actually quite good from the viewpoint that it improves your business credibility with your customers in your own country or in the countries in which you trade. Customers are always impressed by international expansion. And since your name will be over the or they don't actually necessarily need to know if it's a joint venture or if it's wholly owned by you. Longer term, it significantly increases your company valuation. What do I mean by that? Well, when you come to sell or float your company, it'll be worth more than it would if you didn't have an international subsidiary. Once it's established, you can use that joint venture company as a base for other activities, selling your products and services, or 
may be doing more skilled activities, research and development, manufacturing, other things. What exactly what depends on what your business is, of course. If your joint venture partner already has an established business that's compatible with yours, and it's the most likely kind of partner you're going to find because you'll want a business partner who understands what it is you're doing and what type of business you're in, Uh, Well, if they have customers and contacts, then you'll be able to trade off theirs. It will increase the range of things that can be sold to the same group of people. Joint ventures, of course, however, are not without their risks and difficulties. And the one I'm going to really talk about today is the risk you have with your partner. Partnerships are always a problem, or they're very often a problem. Um, Maybe not always, but uh, uh, fall out of love sometimes as fast as they fall into it, as we know, and business partnerships are fraught with danger. International business partnerships are actually more risky, mainly because you're not going to be there all the time. You're not going to perhaps have a cultural affinity or the same cultural affinity with your joint venture partner as you would with somebody in your own country. So looking at the company from the point of view of your joint venture partner, you've got to remember that they're just in it to make money. That's probably the reason that you're in business too. But if your joint venture is not directly selling something, if it's just a services center, so your home business is in fact its only customer, then your partner's only source of increasing their own wealth is through increasing the amount of work that you bring to the joint venture and therefore the amount of money you bring into it or through what I'll call subterfuge. Increasing the work is fine given the carrot of make this operation work and we'll transfer more work here. A good joint venture partner will definitely put in huge effort and become your new best friend and you'll be very happy with the results I assure you. But subterfuge? What do I mean by that? Well essentially I mean disguising what we might call kickbacks into business costs so you're effectively paying more than you need to pay for the work that's actually being done by the joint venture so whatever else you don't do what you do really need to do is to get into the weeds as the americans say with the accounts of the joint venture that means scrutinizing all those detail lines that you'd probably only ever review in aggregate in your home business how much time would you normally spend looking at the line mark stationery, for example? But you'd probably not be surprised if, when I say kickbacks, that means service providers like lawyers and accountants that are introduced by your partners end up giving them kickbacks. You'd probably be happy that these local professionals are charging a whole lot less than the international firms that you might have chosen had it been left up to you. But that doesn't mean that their prices or their services are the best. You need to reduce the risks here by getting involved with their selection right from the start. And if they're going to provide ongoing services and represent a significant cost, have a meeting with them every time you go out to the country, in company, of course, with your joint venture partner in this case. You may not speak the language, but you can read a lot into body language from any country. And the more you meet them, the more questions you ask, even if through a translator, the clearer a picture you'll get. 
of whether things are as good as they should be and get competitive prices for everything. But there are other tricks that you may never have countenanced that I've experienced. I found a joint venture partner who'd made staff actually pay him a percentage of their salary for some mythical HR services he said he was providing them with. So the joint venture correctly paid the staff, but the staff actually had to pay a fee to the JV partner or the family of the JV partner. There's another one that pension contributions and health insurance into the accounts, and so into the cost paid by the Western partner, but put the money in his own pocket. Fortunately, not a business that I personally had to deal with, but it's one I've certainly come across. There was another country, get um, involved, where the joint venture had a legal obligation to provide lunches for their staff. It took me a long time to find out that the caterers were actually also feeding my partner's extended family for all their meals, just as well food was cheap in that country. So you need to ensure that the initial joint venture contract with your partner protects you if you find out that bad things are happening. And that, of course, might not be until several years down the line. Most importantly, you need to have the contractual ability to get total control of the joint venture, or at least majority control, uh, in the event that you discover malpractice, and without, in that case, having to pay your discredited partner a fortune to do so. Assuming all goes well, though, that initial joint venture contract should still also include an ability to buy out the partner's share for a reasonable calculation of value at some point in the future. Even more importantly, on an ongoing basis, you need ways of keeping on top of the business and a way of discovering problems before they become really critical. Personally, I found the best way, and certainly the most enjoyable and motivational, is to engage with the staff on every single visit to the joint venture. I have met and keep on meeting plenty of business people from the UK and the US, for example, who go on a a regular trip to see their joint venture in India or Vietnam or wherever, and then spend their entire time in meeting rooms or in private meetings with the um, joint venture partner. You need to make sure that you don't fall into that trap. Make sure that you have the time not only to walk around the whole offices and say hello every day, but sit down individually with each member of staff if you can. If you've got a lot, of course, it may have to be representatives of each level, but try to do them all on your own without the joint venture partner being present. Remember, that when you're not there, the JV partner is their boss. You only have to meet to have a social chat. The first time or two, most staff will be reserved. Shy, suspicious. But once they get used to you, they'll open up and you'll find out things that you'd otherwise never know. I've discovered a lot of things that way and been able to manage many risks as a result. Bosses, joint venture partners, who are sweetness and light when you're there, but aggressive and bullying when you're not. Bosses who are misogynistic and harass staff, sexually or otherwise. Ones who run their other businesses instead of managing the joint venture, or worse, use your staff for their other business. And of course, good things that get missed. Staff whose skills are underused or simply ignored could be doing far more useful things for you. Assets that you didn't even realise you had. You'll need to filter what you hear, of course, but you'll be told a lot. You might not make friends, but... 
you'll gain a lot of respect. More importantly, the joint venture staff will be happier, they'll work better, and you'll be able to nip problems in the bud, or at least manage them more intelligently. Of course, there's a lot more to joint ventures. I could talk about them all day, uh, but that's enough for now. I hope you found this podcast interesting. If you wonder how it might work for you, and you'd like to discuss get in touch with me i'd be very happy to talk and tell you more of my experiences and see how things might work better for you thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast i really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations we post new content every week so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this the growth through international expansion podcast You can also find the transcript, other articles, and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos, and podcasts, and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson, wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think. Mm-hmm.